Phil Pinty, a.k.a. Macho Man Runneth, cruised into his 30s with brass ring firmly in hand. A post-9-11 stint in the Marines had him deployed to and now safely home from Iraq, married to his college sweetheart and the love of his life, and raising two beautiful young children. A lifelong athlete, our guest made the Hershey Half Marathon an annual family pilgrimage. When hip pain sidelined his wife, however, and normal treatments did nothing to alleviate the injury, tests would reveal that his 33-year-old bride was suffering from stage 4 lung cancer, which would tragically take her life just six short months later. Faced with picking up the pieces and raising their two young children alone, Phil turned to a local race, the Mid-Maryland Ultra 50K, in part to search for and feel a pain different from the anguish he had felt from his wife's passing just three months earlier. The race gave him some perspective and, as you'll hear, made him a better man and father and drove him forward in his life. He continues to live the lessons that he learns on ultra courses around the country, which he will be doing in a few weeks here in Colorado at the Desert Rats Ultra Stage Race, which will take him on a six-day running journey from Fruta, Colorado to Moab, Utah. It will be his third running of this race. This is a really special episode, folks, so if you're ready for the show, crank it up and let's go. Welcome to the Athlinks Podcast. I am your host, Troy Bousseau, coming to you from once again, icy Colorado. It is Tuesday, May 11th, 2021, and this is episode 42. What is happening? How are you doing, Troy? Good to see you. Good, man. How are you doing? Phil, Phil, Phil. Phil Pinty, <laughs> otherwise known as the Macho Man Runneth. <clears throat> yes, sir. Indeed, man. Well, you reached out, uh, and I'm, I'm super happy to have you on the podcast. You've been kind of associated with Athlinks for a few years now. You're an Athlinks ambassador, uh, or I think we don't really have the program anymore, so I guess technically former Athlinks ambassador, but uh, it's great to have you on the show, so welcome. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, indeed. So, um, well, let's see. We're going to cover a lot of ground here. I'm trying to think of the best place to start. Best place is always kind of the beginning. So let's talk a little bit about um, kind of how you got into running. You show up in around 2004 uh, running the Runner's World Half Marathon. You probably had some running in you before. I know you've uh, got some time in the service. So let's just kind of dive a little bit into what, what got you running. And, and you're, a, you're a big dude. You're, a, you're not your typical wayfish runner. You're a muscly, muscly dude. So let's talk about how it all started for you. Yeah. So if someone would venture back to my Athlinks record, I was actually going down memory, memory lane. And uh, it, it did start in 2004 officially in, um, in Allentown. And that was the Runner's World Half. I have to say from the beginning, uh, Bart Yasso has always been uh, very influential in my life. Mm. And uh, at that time, you know, this is my first road race or whatever. And he, I think he was actually rocking the mic that day. He was, he was DJing and, and nice. stuff like that. Um, I was in the I was in the service at that time, and also too, if someone would see those records, they'd see that I was actually able to maintain like a seven thirty minute what, mile pace, one thirty eight at your size. And I saw some early pictures of you from that time as well. I mean, it's not you weren't small then. You got out of the Marines, correct? I was I was still in then. I was okay. in, the, in the reserves at that point. But yeah, yeah. one a one thirty eight twenty half half marathon for your first. That's not not too shabby, dude. <laughs> That's setting the bar pretty high because I've been yeah. chasing that ever since. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, no, so I ran all through the service and um, it was kind of just a recreational thing. You know, you do the, the neighborhood 
run or uh, something that my family really enjoyed doing, and you can see this in the Athlinks record as well, is I am a proud 10-time uh, finisher of the Hershey Half Marathon okay. in Hershey, Pennsylvania. Okay. I own all 10 of those medals, which are illustrious, and each year they'd have a Hershey Kiss or a Twizzler or a Reese's Pieces. So if anybody wants that, hit me up on eBay. <laughs> uh, it's 10000 for the set, $1,000. No, I'm joking. Perfect. Um, but that became, that became my family's little... Um, family get-together tradition, and uh, every year, Hershey actually, they did a really, I thought they did a wonderful job with that race, uh, with every race registration, I mean, I'm selling it now, they're not, they've yeah. actually discontinued the race, but with every race registration, they give you like two tickets to the park, they give you all these vouchers for cookies and chocolate and all this jazz, and it was, it was just great, I mean, Jen and I would go up there uh, when it was just us, when we were just first married. And uh, then we welcomed my daughter and my son, and we just we made it a real family affair. And it was that was something I was hoping to streak for for as long as possible, but they capped it at ten. So uh, yeah, that was a great great time. Uh, it's a bummer that it's not around anymore. I'm surprised they didn't give you like a free live CD. That band live <laughs> from the '90s is from Hershey. So yeah, yeah small yeah. claim to fame. Yeah. Uh, um, wow. So what? I mean, it's interesting that you jump right into half marathons. It's funny, like, I think everybody that I've interviewed on the podcast, especially coming from a background, like coming from the military background where running was probably kind of part of your punishment in a way, right? That's sort of the perception that then you jump right into a half marathon and stuff. Was it, were you a runner in, in, uh, uh, in, in grade or high school growing up? I was I was never a formal runner. I always I was always involved in sports. Uh, yeah. Played football in the fall. Wrestled no, in the you? in the winter time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> middle middle linebacker. Yeah, you um, look it. And then um, I played track in the spring. I played track. I, I I ran track, but I actually did not run. I uh, dabbled a little bit in shot put and yeah. javelin. And then when I was in college, I went to Westchester University in Pennsylvania. And uh, one of one of the greatest experiences athletically for me was the rugby, this rugby club, mm. right? And uh, it was just a great mix of, you know, in foot in high school, football players are always dogging on soccer players and soccer. You know, there's this whole yeah. rivalry going on. Oh, yeah. Rugby is just this Confidence. chaotic clash yeah. of just speed and endurance and all these things. One of my crowning achievements, if I may, I'm on the podcast. Uh, my first try in rugby playing for Westchester was against Princeton University in, in Jersey. And my sister went to a little art, fine art school right by there. I remember when I was a young kid, we'd go down to visit her and there'd be guys and gals playing lacrosse and rugby and all these things. And it was just this full circle moment in my life. You know, I felt like I was in like Dead Poet Society or Goodwill <laughs> Hunting or something. I was just like, you know, I score this try and my teammates are rallying around me and that's such. Awesome. But that's where, that's where there's, you kind of, cross that fine line where running is used as punishment, right? Yeah. When you're on the high school football team and you lost the last game, you know, Mondays was always the day you'd run hills yeah. until your legs fell off and stuff. But when I was in college and playing rugby and stuff, uh, you just want to, you want to build conditioning, right? You don't want to get to the, the midway point of the game and be completely dog tired. Yeah. You want to be able to rally your team and just show that you still have more. I mean, rugby was just nonstop bash fest for, 42 minutes or whatever it was. Yeah. So that's where I kind of transitioned from running as a utility thing to running to actually being passionate about it. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, I did football, wrestling, and track as well. My track was kind of like I dabbled in high jump. I broke the bar in the first meet of the 
my my junior season, I took off my jersey and went and watched the baseball games. Like that's <laughs> that's good. I, after wrestling yeah. season, I was ready for a break anyway. So yeah. yeah, track. If I if I if you don't mind me saying, track is kind of like you know just kind of reindeer games. Like I remember going to practice and not that there's no direction or anything, but I'm used to like calisthenics and right. doing yeah. these things. And track is just, it, it, it really is what you, you get out what you put into it. Yeah, so that's, that's, yeah. that's a good observation for sure. Yeah, indeed. So, um, so you're, you're making this a family affair. What, um, what brought you into the military? Was it kind of an extension of that football wrestling type of mentality? Was it more patriotism? Kind of where where, where yeah. were you coming at it from? I don't know. I'm not going to call your age out, but I'll, I'll call my own. Um, oh. I'm, I'm 38. I'm th I'm 38 years old, and I was actually every every generation, right? Like I'm not trying to make this a bigger thing than it is, but every generation has kind of their moment where it's like an end of innocence, mm. and. So I was, I was going to a, a high school in, uh, near Reading, Pennsylvania, Exeter Township High School, go Eagles. And uh, I was graduating. My graduation year was 2001, so spring 2001. Yeah. And, you know, being this jock from any town USA and, like, just world was, the world was our oyster, right? It was all, we, we were raised during the 90s where everything was great, grand and wonderful. And people were pimping their rides and we, everyone, wanted to date Britney Spears and all this stuff. And like, it was just a great time to be alive. Right. Yeah. Uh, freshman year of college at Westchester one week into, or actually it was my, it was second week. I think it was a Tuesday, right? Nine 11. And the, everything just came crashing down. Yeah. I mean, I was, I was going to school at Westchester. Westchester has an extensive, wonderful, they have a whole South campus devoted to athletic uh, athletics. And I wanted, I was uh, a sports medicine major. I wanted to get into kinesiology and sports medicine. I wanted to be a, a team's athletic trainer, right? 9-11 mm. happens and everything just changes. Not, not yeah. that there's anything wrong with that, but it was like, what, what am I doing to like help the greater good yeah. or greater cause or whatnot? So I, I ended up changing majors. Um, I changed my major to criminal justice and sociology and stuff. And uh, then I actually, my, my whole career was devoted actually to the Marine Corps Reserve. Mm. So um, I enlist. I went to boot camp the summer between freshman year and sophomore year. Okay, I'm sorry, freshman. Yeah, freshman and sophomore, and um, pretty much was was juggling. It worked out really, really well for me. But there was uh, there was underlying issues why I didn't completely withdraw from college. I'd received some some grants and some scholarships that I'd be actually forfeiting if I'd yeah. completely withdrawn. And but then when you when you join the reserves, you know you qualify for the GI Bill, and there's all these supplementary things that helped me with my college career. So I kind of, I kind of juggled both hats, uh, in 2005, pretty much all of 2005, I was, uh, activated and I served overseas in Iraq. Okay. So, yep. Okay. And are you, um, did it, did it sort of fit with the mindset that you went in with? Were you, you know, were you checking the box for why you joined in the first place? So you talk about life changes. You have this kind of, I think, higher um, purpose going on in the back of your mind. And, you know, you, you, you want to do your part, right? Mm -hmm. And did it, did it fulfill that for you? Was it, was it what you thought it was going to be? I absolutely, um, I absolutely, it was everything. It was everything I, I hoped it would have been. You know, I just, you... I feel like our lives, there's these themes, there's these continuing themes, right? And I don't, why not? I'm, I'm on this podcast with you, having this opportunity with you, but e even in the last year or two that we've seen with 
the pandemic and lockdowns and COVID and everything like that, there's been there's been a, tons of hardship and tons of devastation and family plans have changed, professional plans have changed. Um, but I believe that through, you know, Sun Tzu or something like that, you know, even in the midst of chaos, there's opportunity. I, that moment, that decision of joining the Marines in 2001, that, that's changed the, re- the, the whole rest of my life, you know? And it, it's, it's horrible to think that it took this devastating national disaster and this whole attack on terrorism and what it, what it did to our country for the last 20 years. Yeah. But you, there's things that we can do in our own personal lives that there's these little opportunities. There's these little doors that open and you can either choose to go through it or, or, or not to. And I just, I, we all felt that, you know, it doesn't matter what age, you know, I've, I've spoken with other kids that they were in elementary school or people who were in their teaching career and stuff. It, it all affected us in different ways. I just feel like when you're a young person, male or female, it doesn't matter you're at a very pivotal point in your life when you're at that age, right? You're heading off to college, you're establishing who you are, what you stand for. Um, and I don't know, it just, I, yeah. if I had an opportunity to go back, I mean, I look back now, I, I could have been a year or two away from retirement if I just would have made a career out of it, but I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have changed a thing. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because you, you sort of have a habit of making these grand, uh, I don't know if gestures is the right word, but these grand moves based on, we'll call it tragedy, right? Where big, big negative things have happened in your life where then you've turned them into uh, what I certainly perceive. And I think you perceive as, as positives that we'll get into here in a minute. But um, mm-hmm. so how did your, uh, so you got out of the military. What, how did that, uh, was that a, no, was that the plan the whole time? Did it transition? When did you meet your wife and all of this? <laughs> Uh, so Jennifer and I, we met, we met at Westchester in 2004 okay. and, and she was aware of what she was, what she was signing on for. Um, luckily or unluckily, however you want to look at it, you know, I made it all the way through my college c- career without any major activations or any, uh, disruptions in, in the reserves. I was able to see, um, Japan. I climbed Mount Fuji nice. in 2004, 2005. And, um, I did some cold weather training in Norway. It gets extremely cold in Norway. I, I wear contacts off. Yeah, I get, I, I wear <laughs> soft contacts and you know, they, as soon as you step outside the tent or whatever for this cold weather training, they just freeze to your eyelids. You have to just throw them away. It's oh, insanely cold there. Yeah. Wow. Um, but Jen and I had been getting more and more serious. We all know how, how it goes. And, uh, it just, it, I don't want to say like it served it, its purpose, but you know, they're utilizing young motivated people to to serve and protect and all those things and i think it was a mutual we we both got out of it what we were looking for and looking looking to start a family and settle down with jennifer it was just it was time to kind of hang that up so yeah 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 so you're you're embarking you are you know again these phases of your life so you've just graduated college you've got the college sweetheart woman you love you've got the military now behind you so one phase of a career done ready to kind of rock it into life, right? You've got, you got everything lined up perfectly. You can, I'm sure you can, you've had those moments of, of picturing you and Jennifer, like rocking on a, on a, on a porch somewhere, sipping iced tea when you're in your eighties, right? Yeah. Uh, watching your grandkids play out front and stuff. And so, um, as life 
often does. It doesn't quite follow the script that you had laid out for you. No. Um, what? Um, so you have a couple of kids along the way? Yes, we welcomed uh, my daughter in 2014 and then our son in, oh, I'm sorry, I'm all mixed up. My daughter in 2012 and my son in 2014. Okay. And were, what was, was Jennifer a runner? Was that something you guys shared in common or, or were you a little bit more hardcore about it? And... <laughs> hardcore. Yeah. Uh, no, she, she was, she, she was, she wasn't that much before she met me, but she definitely was after meeting me. Okay. So, yeah. Okay. We would, uh, we, we, that's what we loved about going to Hershey is we would, uh, invite her parents, invite the grandparents and stuff like that. And they would, we'd make it this whole family to do. And then Jen and I would slug through the half marathon yeah. together. So. Again, that it's, it's so strange that that sort of became the thing without having any of that in either of your backgrounds where that sort of became the, what was it about? Was it something about that race in particular, or was it just about a distance of a half marathon? Was it somebody in your life that kind of inspired you onto that? I'm kind of fascinated that that became like the, the family, you know, the annual outing for the family. It, it really, it really was all of those things. Yeah. You know, when you're, when you're a family, as the dad or as the mom, you're, you're looking for things to get the family out and about and exploring areas. And I mean, who doesn't, who doesn't love amusement parks and like right. free candy and stuff like yeah. that. Right. So, uh, best Italian joint, best restaurant in town is Fenici's on, on main street. Um, little shout out, it, little shout out to Fenici's. <laughs> um, no, but we, we just really, you know, all of us, anyone who who streaks a race or, or does a race more than once, you go to this place that you're not accustomed to, right? You you go down to DC for the weekend to run the Marine Corps and you come away from it and it's many of your memories, you know, the race was great and who you were there with was great and the finish line was great. Uh, but so much of the memories, so many of the things we carry with us are like everything about it. Yeah. The running convention, staying at the hotel, bumping elbows with other runners, being in DC, seeing the sights, you know, it's th those those places almost become another character in the reason why you run the race. So for us, Hershey was just this sentimental, you know, you have these memories of when you're a little kid. And then the fact now that we were enjoying this time together as a, you know, is so many people look at running as this very individualistic, yeah. you know, almost selfish, almost selfish thing, which it's not um, because we were sharing in this time, even though we were, I was doing it separately and Jen was running separately. We were, we knew that we were, our, our hearts were beating and our lungs were, breathing air and we were we were working together for something we'd see each other we saw each other at the start we'd see each other at the finish and it just became this this thing that we did one of our traditions so. yeah it's it's amazing I've, I've always been kind of a loner type of runner but the races that i've done with friends or family you know it, it, <clears throat> there is something so special even when you're not arm in arm running with them uh, there's just something so special about towing a start line together knowing you're both going through the same amount of pain you know, sharing the beer afterward, talking about the, you know, the experience and everything there, there's just something. So I don't know. I've always said like, just racing is absolutely where all the magic happens. It's not, mm -hmm. you just cannot approach it, you know, like yeah. with any other thing. That, that race particularly has become such a community of, of memories where exactly what you just said, uh, every year, you know, my sister and her husband might come down from New York or some of my, some plenty of my Marine buddies or college buddies had run that thing with, with us. And it wasn't, it's not that we were beating the drum or anything like that. They, they saw the excitement. They saw what that weekend meant to us. And they kind of almost, they wanted to tag along they wanted to join it. So like every, when I, if somebody brings up the Hershey half marathon for me, I can't, I can't help but smile and yeah. just 
think of this collective memory, this photo album in my head of just yeah. all the different experiences that we had. And then the fact that we were able to include my kids and stuff in that. That is cool. cool. It's funny because yeah. it, it's so stupid, right? Like none of us are going <laughs> to win. There's no, no. Uh, it's just, it is the, it's one of those things. Like you look at it and go, there's no reason why there should be a multi-billion dollar industry around this thing, but there is. And it's, and people like you and me and everybody listening just freaking love it. And man, the last year and a half has been so difficult with everything else, not having the thing that I think, you know, so many of us use as our outlet for, um, for so many things, uh, yeah. not having it there has been really, really tough. Absolutely. Yeah. It's been, it's been a hard, a really hard year for runners. That's yeah. certainly true. Yeah, for sure. So, um, as I understand it, Jen starts to get some hip pain that, yes. that she thinks is just sort of like a, you know, a standard runner's injury, right? And we've all mm -hmm. had hip and knee and foot pain and things, but, um, it's not responding to treatments, not exactly, uh, you know, again, following the prescribed route and, mm -hmm. um, finds out through some tests that this is not standard hip pain. This is stage four lung cancer. Yes. Yeah. Jen, Jen was always very, um, I'm, I'm very passionate. I'm very gung ho and I wear my emotions on my sleeve and all that stuff. Jen, Jen was very reserved and very, um, even keel, but you, you know, she knew she was just that type of person, right? But she was never one to make waves or, or make something out of nothing. And, and when she actually said that she had the pain in my heart, I, I knew, I didn't, obviously I had no idea how devastating the news yeah. was going to be, but like for her to actually comment that it was causing her pain, that, that caused me concern. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So you get the, you get the, the news of what it is. Um, how serious it was as far as it, the advancement stage four is, is uh, for the most part, kind of no turning back, as I understand it at that point, um, you know, fairly beyond treatment and things. What, mm -hmm. what was the prognosis at the time? She, you, you, you say you're sort of the, you're the sort of emotional one in the family. She's this, you know, sort of stoic type of, of personality. What was, what was, what was the prognosis in your heart? Where did, what did you really think the prognosis was? Were you hopeful? Were you devastated? Were you both were, you know? Yeah. I mean, in the, in this day and age with anything, it, it's hard to not Google something immediately and yeah. just try to, we want to search for answers. We want to know what's going on and everything like that. The doctors, obviously it's, it's their profession and everything. And they, they did an outstanding job, but you, you could, I think when things in life, no matter what it is, when things kind of happen out of order or when you see this young, vibrant, right. youthful woman, you non, know, non-smoker, by the way, not right? non-smoker, like it, it doesn't fit the standard, right? They can look at their charts and their schematics and all these things. And it just when when even at the beginning stages, like when she just went to her general practitioner and then they're recommending physical therapy and dry needling and well, have you tried yoga? Have you tried this? And like, just nothing is responding. Yeah. Nothing. Eat pads all day, ice. And it, it just, that was the part from the beginning that was just really troubling. It's because like you or I or anybody involved in athletics, you know, if you, you, you twist an ankle or something, there's this, there's this moment in time where I know I did something yeah. or, so that was just hard to wrap our heads around. And then also too, I think just being such, being so young ourselves, but also having young children. Right. 
even when we were getting the news right um it's it's funny you hear <laughs> you hear what you want to hear or you don't hear what you don't want to hear and I, that that sounds very cliche but we they were giving us all of this information but i don't think at that time at that age at where yeah. we were at in our young relationship like it we weren't we weren't receptive to it right you know yeah but they didn't they didn't just come out and say you know it's a lost hope. There's no, you don't have a, you know, you have zero chance or anything like that. But stage four, anything is extremely serious and obviously has spread from the immediate site of the initial cancer. So, I mean, it was, it was in her, I mean, she had lung cancer. It was in the bone of her hip yeah. and it was, it was various other places as well. So it was just, it was very hard, very hard to wrap your head around something like that. Yeah. But yeah. Was the pain, was the pain there when she ran or was it, had it become kind of an everyday thing? It was, it was constant. And that, okay. that was another thing that was very troubling. Um, she actually had to, she actually had to go into surgery very close to the initial diagnosis. They had to put, they had to like reinforce her femur Wow! and the doctors, they put like a rod in her bone. And the, the way the doctors explained it is that bone was so incredibly weak that if like she squatted down to pick up one of our children or if she, even if she just turned a certain way um the the bone could have just fractured like that's wow. how that's how fragile it was and i mean she was 30 33 years old never smoked wow yeah 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 so the prognosis had to have just been sort of like so out of context like okay yeah that's yeah i get it for a 70 year old smoker that's what's going to happen mm. but that's not going to happen to me right no yeah. A week a week or two after so she was she was officially diagnosed June first. Uh we got in touch with like one of the most renowned sur surgeons uh for this type of cancer in, in the state of Maryland. Uh but we were in the hospital we were in the hospital during our seventh wedding anniversary, but she was in the hospital for a week and a half, two weeks. And it, it could have very I mean, this is I, I don't think I've ever spoken about this before, but this this could have been one of those instances where like you find out somebody has cancer, they go into the hospital and then they, they don't come out of the hospital. Like it was, it was right. seriously that because there's, there's so many compl complications with blood clotting and, and this, that, and the other thing, it, it, it does such a number on your immune system yeah. that it could just be like a one, two punch. But thankfully, uh, you know, they, she, she made it through surgery and it was all, that was a horrible time. But then we were, we thankfully had six months together, but unfortunately, uh, she lost her life on December 13th, 2016. Yeah. I'm sorry to hear yeah. that. Yeah. Was it a, was it sort of a linear progression toward the end? Was it exponential where it just got, you know, twice as bad day after day type of thing toward the end? This, uh, this specific type of, of cancer, I'm, I'm, I'm drawing a blank. It's, it's pretty much a genetic mutation. Mm. Um, but for some reason it affects women in their thirties um and and traditionally with like asian descent or something mm -hmm. there which it did that didn't apply to jennifer but yeah again i'm drawing a blank on it but it's also just very extremely yeah. aggressive i mean the fact that she was only 33 years old but then once it you know i i look i i look back through pictures six months prior a year prior and it's one of those instances where you just have absolutely no idea like none wow. and and then when the pain came on it's like it just came out of nowhere and then from having that line in the sand from June 1st to December 13th, it was, you know, for again, a, a lack of better terms, it was just a roller coaster ride of just, um, we, we tried to celebrate 
all the positives and all the happy moments amidst everything else that was going on. But it was just like, we were, we were seriously holding on for dear life. It was, yeah. it was a really quick progression. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how old are your kids at this point? Uh, my, my daughter Penelope, uh, is about to be nine years old in August. Okay. And my son, Nolan is, uh, he's a week or two away from his seventh birthday. Nice. So, not, uh, yeah. Okay. So very young. So he, he was what, about a year and a half at the time? He was, he was two and a half and, and uh, Penelope was four and a half. Yeah. Got it. And my, my tidbit there, I don't, I'm sorry to cut you off, but you may, this may be a follow-up question. I, I just think so many people have reached out to me and me sharing my story and, and what it means to them and everything. Everyone has their, their things that they carry and their things that they have to deal with. But thankfully, or the, the silver lining for my children is I feel like they were just too darn young like yeah. they were just too young to not have to witness the things that they probably witnessed and and also just moving forward like people have reached out to me and they're like i've got a 16 year old and a 12 year old and it's like i i i some of my recovery or something is is attempting or trying to help other people and sure. but i i can't i can't speak to that because it's yeah. like when it when a child is that old and they have that wealth of memories and that love and all of those things that you're dealing with a completely different thing that I, I myself, I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying my children and I don't have good days and bad days, or there aren't hurdles that I have to address with my children, but they're, they're just different. Yeah. They're, they're different hurdles. And, you know, upon Jen's diagnosis, she was going to see a counselor. I was going to see a counselor and my daughter was in like play therapy mm. and, um, there's no way we could have weathered the storm. I mean, I'm not, I'm not trying to push that this, that, or the other thing, but, um, my counselor saw me through all of that. Yeah. And, um, you know, having to break the news to your four year old daughter, like on the day that your wife passed away, that, that she's gone yeah. I, that, that day to me, I mean, December 13th, 2016, if anyone's looking for the hardest day of Phil Pinty's life, that, that was it. And to have to, communicate those things to a child are, are extremely difficult to do. And yeah. the fact that that's always been, if I'm having a rough day or something like that, to you, you don't realize how strong you are until you have to be strong. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm sure that you've used a lot of that as you dip into the reserves and in, in races, uh, like the desert rats that we'll talk about here in a minute. But, um, yeah. you know, it, yeah, it's, yeah. I, the reality is, is, is loss is, is devastating and it's so difficult and there's no, there's no right age for it to happen. Right. There's no, you could argue on both sides, right. It's better to not have memories or it's better to have tons of memories. You know, it's, it, it may be harder at the moment, but easier later and vice versa to the other thing. And so we're, you know, we all do the best with what we have in the moment. And, um, you can't really hope for much more than that, frankly, right? Mm -hmm. I, I I don't want to get too far off topic, and you know, as my buddy Chris would say, I'm gonna I'm about to get all hippy dippy. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing that we're talking about is a thing at some point of our life we're all gonna have to face. And like my analogy with running and everything, it's like you you put so much effort and time into training for a race, and then you get to the finish line and it's like, as soon as you get that hit of dopamine and as soon as you're excited, you got that runner's high and stuff, you're driving home with your goodie bag and your t-shirt. And it's like that, that feeling's almost fleeting, right? It's like, we're chasing, that's what we're chasing, that feeling and life and, and death and, and things that people have shared with me, you know, we're all, 
we're all collectively in this thing together. And the things that I discuss or whatever, like I might have had to face them at a younger age, but they're things that we're all going to have to face at some point of our life. So my, my, the moral of the story for me, at least is 33 years of age or 35 or 38 is, is far too young to just throw in the towel and hang your head. And, you know, it, it's not necessarily about like winning or losing. It's just about finding the things in life that bring you happiness and satisfaction. Yeah. And everything I've achieved in my life, it's been, it's not going to come the easy way. And obviously that's, that stands the case. Like, yeah. I don't know exactly where I fit in, so to speak, or what, when I'm going to get to that point. I don't think anyone's ever at the point where they're like, yes, like I made it. Woohoo. But I felt that way when I was with Jen and when I started my family yeah. and I'm, I'm not ready to let go of that. I'm not, yeah. I'm not done yet. So. Yeah. I think the older I get, the more I realize that that is true in terms of when you're a kid, you see adults as this sort of stasis where they get to an age and then it's all easy, right? You get your job and you have your house and you have all of these things, but there's no, like I looked at my parents and it was like, I don't know, in, in some weird way, it was like effortless and there didn't seem to be a lot of change, right? And then you, the older you get, you realize, wow, there is, there is nothing but change. Tomorrow is never promised. Um, and as a parent, you sort of, and, and as my parents did, is they did a, a phenomenal job of sort of painting that illusion that of, of stability, of like just extreme stability, right? Well, that's what they're, that's what they're working yeah. for. Like it, the folks that grow up and things are this kind of even keel, everything's great. Your, your parents are working extremely hard behind the scenes, yeah. working the job, meeting with home contractors, dealing with this, that, and the other putting out these little mini fires all over the place. Uh, but you have to, you have to work for it. You yeah. can't like that doesn't come easy. That lifestyle doesn't come easy. Yeah. So <clears throat> I notice you mentioned December of 2016. I notice in February of 2017. And I'd love to know kind of where your head is at of this is the mid Maryland ultra 50 K. So three months after Jennifer's death, you go and run a 50K, six hours, 24 minutes. Mm -hmm. Where, let me see how to ask this question. Um, catharsis, therapy, beating yourself up, self-punishment, like where, where does all of that fit together in running a 50K, um, you know, mere months after Jennifer's death. All, all of those things. All of the above. Yes. Yeah. That was the first, um, in the days and weeks that Jen passed, uh, I got myself a nanny. I, I, there was a woman, Miss Celeste, who helped me out for two whole years of my life. Mm. She would come to the house early, super early, 4.35 o'clock in the morning so I could get off to my job. And, um, she really got me through those darkest days. Like Miss Celeste giving you the shout out. Like I, there's no way I could have made it through those days without her. How did you find her? Um, one, of, one of my coworkers, him and I, we worked in the same office and um, we did like a celebration of, I'm going to try not to get choked up here. Take your time.
we did like a, a celebration of life for Jen and uh, Miss Celeste just wrote me this heartfelt card. She had no idea who, who I was. It was just the association with her husband. And she just said, I don't, I know that this is going to come off as a lot all at once, but I feel that I'm here for a specific purpose and I'd like to be there for you and the kids in wow. whatever, whatever fashion that means. So I reached out to her and she was able to be with us for two years. So, wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So you don't know those little things in life when you, yeah. when you put yourself out there and you say, you know, I'll be there and somebody tags you just, they're going to hold on to you for two years. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Like a, like an angel of some sort. Absolutely. An angel. Yeah. I think, I think Celeste actually comes from like celestial, like from yeah. the heaven. So she, she lives up to the name. Yeah. I'm sorry about that. So no. anyway, so that weekend, um, that weekend in February was the first time since Jen's death that I would have been sans kids, that I would have been without my children. And I took them up to Pennsylvania to be with Jen's folks. And uh, on the drive home, I was just feeling so incredible. I mean, I, obviously, I was already registered for this race. That was hence yeah. the reason why I was dropping them off. But I, I was just feeling like so sorry for myself. And that drive home was like the loneliest. It was just like a really lonely time because it was like I, I was giving away my kids for the first time. Like they were under my control and now I'm relinquishing control. I'm, right. I, I'm not in control. I'm not with them anymore. And uh, that race, I was just going into it. I just wanted to make myself like suffer. Like I just, yeah. I wanted to feel everything that I needed to feel. And that was, that kind of jump-started this two, three year running thing where I was just throwing myself into this race and that race and the other race. but it's kind of ironic or, you know, I don't think it's any surprise why a guy like David Goggins or something is so popular. Um, it's almost in the midst of suffering where you, you can recalibrate and you can reassess and like, what, what is actually important in my life? What am I doing? Crummy things are going to happen, right? I'm sorry to go all oh. philosophical, but like this, cr this crummy stuff is going to happen. And yeah. when you're in an ultra and it's raining and it's 20 degrees in February and you're miserable and you say to yourself, well, I signed up for this. I put myself into this. It's your, that's a looping course. It's a five mile looping course or a, a 5k looping course. And anytime you come around to the pavilion and there's pre COVID world, there's pizza and there's ramen yeah. noodles and there's Swedish fish. There's all these opportunities to just stop. Yep. Why not stop and just eat some more pizza? That's fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I just kept going and that, that kind of just jump started. That just started the fire that, you know what, like you are, it might just be a silly race, but you're capable of doing these crazy things. So just keep, keep going. I think that's the, that's the thing about racing, right? Is that there, it's, it's so immediate in terms of like there, you know, we can all try to build a career or a relationship or, you know, whatever it is that it, it takes so long for a lot of those things to really bear fruit, especially when you're sort of testing yourself in that. Whereas a race, you know, it could be as short as, you know, four and a half minutes to four and a half or six days in, in, in terms of desert rats, right? But your most races in, in the span of a couple of hours, you're going to learn a ton about yourself. In, in this day and age, you know, I mean, you go to Costco and pick up your 80-inch TV or, you know, your 10-gallon uh, 
container of mustard or whatever else you want. Like it, it's, it's kind of tough to challenge oneself these days. You know, there's, there's a lot of ease in life. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, I, I, I've certainly not gone through what you've gone through, but I understand the, that sort of laying this test out for yourself with the 50 K what was, what was the day like you mentioned, you know, kind of the, the, the conditions, but sort of my question when you went into the military, sort of, did it, did it check the boxes you were hoping? Did you have an expectation going into this race or was it just sort of like, I just want to, I want to feel a pain that maybe is different than the pain I've been feeling, or I really wanted to amplify the pain that I have been feeling. So for anyone who's run a a marathon, obviously knows the ups and downs and like, you know, I, I've run the Marine Corps a bunch and there's the whole beat the bridge and you get that, you hit the wall, so to speak, where like your, your body starts tensing up in weird places you've never felt before. And it, you know, yeah, you almost have to come to a Frankenstein walk so that you don't pull your calf or something. Um, and I knew, I knew that there was this magical leap, you know, what's an additional five some miles from the, from the marathon to the 50 K. And I just, I kind of wanted, I wanted to experience that. And then not only did I experience that, but it was like so much, you know, I don't want to say I had this like Rocky Balboa moment, but this whole time I'm just like trudging along and like, this is, stu- you know, I could just be sitting around all weekend doing nothing, eating pizza warm on a, on the couch, you know? And, uh, it was the third or fourth loop. And it was almost like this, like burning anger and resentment and whatever turned into like motivation. And it was like, I was hitting my second wind and I was like, pat, like, you know, you say that I'm not really built like a runner or anything, but I start like passing actual runners and I'm yeah. like, wow, like this is pretty, this is pretty cool. You know, um, yeah, just uh, in an ultra making that jump for any of your listeners that are just running rate, not just, but I'm saying mostly majority of the time road races or stuff like that. I think what a lot of ultra runners and stuff have opened is, is in a sense, Pandora's box because we, we just throw ourselves into these crazy, you hear these hundred mile races now, 200 mile races. We just had Cocodona last yeah. week, 250 miles. Like people, people who are runners say to themselves, what is wrong with these people? Like they don't have to do this. They don't, yeah. you know, that's not a race. That's an epic journey that takes date. They're running for days. I was, we were tracking our buddy, Thomas Mullins. We were tracking Thomas Mullins and the guy, you know, I'm waking up with my kids making breakfast. He's yeah. running. I'm yeah. at work. He's running. I'm at home mowing the lawn. Thomas is still running. Like, it's just, yeah. it's a whole nother level. And that, that 50K, mid-Maryland, bullseye running, central Maryland, that was like my gateway to the world of ultras. So. And what, <laughs> look, I'm going through this journey myself. Uh, I've never even run a marathon and I've got Silver Rush in um in july the 50 50 mile better start training i well <laughs> i i'm training as much as my freaking foot will let me so that's a whole yeah. other story it, it i've yeah. good days and bad days but i am putting in the miles and i got my new my new canyon mountain bike so i'm, I'm putting in some miles there too but um what i'm trying you know these things, like the more I talk to people on this podcast and they go through these types of things, I'm more and more convinced that there's this, they're like life. I think there, it's almost like a, not a pyramid scheme, but it's like this pyramid where ultimately we're all here to pick whoever that one person at the end is going to be up to some level, if that makes sense. And Jennifer's death 
um, Miss Celeste, like all of these things. And maybe you're here for somebody else, but it's like we, you know, we all stand on the shoulders of giants, so to speak, in, in terms of that experience and pushing, pushing the thing in front of you up higher and higher. Where does Ultra fit in with, um, so two questions, I guess. Would, do you think the Ultra journey would have happened without Jennifer's death? And if, if so or not, what, what, what role is Ultra playing in your life relative to Jennifer's death or, or not, if that makes sense? Yeah. Like today, I, yeah. I understand what it yeah. did in the beginning. No, I mean, just meeting Jennifer, marrying Jennifer, starting a family with Jen, that was, that was the highest achievement, the yeah. crowning achievement of my life. You know, like I, I came from, I don't want to go off on too much of a tangent, but I, I came from a, a pretty rough upbringing. I, I lost my own dad when I was 10 years old. Like I, I've just, I don't know what, what this means or how this resonates with other people, but I've been fighting and clawing my entire life. and. When I met Jen, I just thought that was going to be my cushy moment where like I had yeah. finally, I'd finally made it. Like I didn't have to, obviously you have, you know, it's that old adage when you, when you graduate high school and you're like, I never have to read another book again. And yeah. kids are burning their books and running through the streets and stuff like yeah. that's obviously not the case if you want yeah. to get ahead. But, and then when that's all taken, like, yeah, I'm not, we, we were discussing, I think precast, like you and I, we're not, I'm not professional runner. I'm not, I'm not trying to make this a career or anything like that. But what I've, what I've realized for myself is maybe it doesn't take much for people to see, like obviously running and running ultras is probably filling some sort of void in my life. Right. But I've noticed that if it's a matter of running or not running, I'm a better person. I'm a better person when I'm running, when wow. I'm, when I'm putting myself through these trials and tribulations because there, there's stuff there's stuff that we're all dealing with on any given day and i think for so many runners running is our medicine like it's what keeps us going because you come back and you feel you feel lighter and people ask me so many times how do you do it with two young kids like how are you present and all those things you have to put your mask on first before you put the other masks on and any moment when people ask me, how do you find time and this and that you, you find, you find time because then when I'm there with my kiddos and it's just one-on-one -on -one time, there's not this laundry list of other things that I need to check off because I've already addressed them or I've run and I burn off that steam and there's no more, there's no more angst. There's no more resentment. Like this is, we don't get to choose the things that happen to us. We get to choose what we do with, with what we've been given, right? Like I, when you get married, somebody's not thinking my wife is going to pass away when we're 33. Right. I'm going to be a 35 year old with two young kids and this, that, and the other, like, no, but that, that's what happened. So am I just going to like roll over and just say, that's it. You know, somebody there's responsibilities in your life. You either address them or somebody's going to have to address them. So yeah. I just choose to, to tag on Oprah Winfrey when she, <laughs> when she ran the Marine Corps, you know, Running is the greatest metaphor for life because you get out of it what you put into it. And that I will hold on to that because it's true. <laughs> and, yeah. and, you know, somebody may say, what's, what's this wall of metals for? And so what you can do this or do that. Like I do it for me selfishly, you know, call yeah. me Walter White or something, but I'm, I'm doing it for me because it makes me a better person. Wow. Yeah. That's well said. That's super well said. 
kind of puts it all into perspective very, very concisely. Yeah. I'm so, a paradox. I'm a paradox, Troy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, look, I, you know, I mean, it, it's funny because, there, you know, the ultra world is so full of addiction, recovering addicts, things like that. Like there is, you know, if, if running a little bit is good, then running a lot is even better. And I, like you, I, I turn to running anytime I need, whether it's catharsis, good ideas, stress relief, uh, whatever it is, like whatever my mountain is that I have to climb, I have found the only way I can really climb it is by running. And I'm, a, I'm a, by no means a great runner. I am by no means where I want to be as a runner, as far as, you know, you know, I'd like, I'd love to run hundreds and things like that. And my body just to this point hasn't let me knock on wood. It's getting there, but, um, you know, I, I get it. Like it, it just, it is the ultimate salve, you know, for whatever it is, physical or mental. Like it just, it is the ultimate thing that nothing like I don't, I don't happen to have an addictive personality for drink or drugs or anything else. Mm-hmm. But man, when I don't run, I'm just not a, I'm not a nice, happy person. I'm just yeah. not. I, I absolutely agree with you. Yeah. You look, you look at, I'm not putting you or I on the same level as like a Rich Roll or a, a Katra Corbett or a David Goggins or anything like that. But you, you look at these people who have, for lack of better terms, terms have completely turned their lives around, yeah. you know, like maybe not everybody needs to throw themselves into X, Y, or Z. you know, everything's good in moderation. Right. Yeah. Um, I just found out very early on I could do X, Y, or Z. And when I wake up the next day, I'm not, I'm not going to feel good about that. Yeah. I'd, I'd, rather, I'd rather put my body and my mind through the ringer, so to speak, and like be beat up that way yeah. than do something that's maybe not morally or legally accepted. And right. then there's other reper- like, there's repercussions for everything, right? Yeah. And I'd rather just put myself through it physically, you know? Yeah, and, and and with regard to um, Katra and and Rich Roll and, and those guys is like it, it it's all about context and perspective, right? They're starting in a very different, you know, they're starting in the dugout where maybe you were starting on second base, right? They they mm-hmm. had a much deeper hole to climb out of mm-hmm. in terms of where their life had gotten. Luckily, with running. You know, because the reality is, is with Jen's death and the pressures that you had as a 35 year old widower with two children, you could have gone to the dugout, right? You could Mm -hmm. have gone in the opposite direction without running. And then, Mm -hmm. and then you do have a ritual story, you know, where you're, you're digging yourself out of a very, very deep hole just to get back to ground level, right? Mm -hmm. Luckily, Mm -hmm. it sounds like you, you kind of started at ground level and were, were able to climb above it. So. Yeah. Yeah. So Desert Rats, two years ago, three years ago now, I guess. You mm-hmm. you do first off, describe this race. And I'm gonna it's not too far from me. It's it's probably a four hour drive from me. I, I part of me wants so to go down and you're, check you're this doing thing it, out. You're doing it next year is what you're saying? I'm not doing it. I <laughs> I'd never even heard of it before you reached out, but um yeah. I'm not saying I won't do it. It it sounds like I had Ed Haran on Finn. Are you familiar with him, the author? Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I had him on the podcast, and uh, I one of the questions because he's done a bunch of these ultra stage races, and I asked him like, what's harder? You know, the the uh, the transcendence run around a track, the the um, uh, the multi day stage race and stuff. And he goes, well, I thought the stage race was going to be easier because it's like 25 miles a day, easy. 
He said, no, man, it's like, you know, getting up every day, having to do it again and again and again is really tough. So, yeah. um, but it, that actually may suit my body better where, you know, mm-hmm. like these, these nagging injuries where it's kind of like a, it's an IT band foot issue where that might actually be better in, in shorter distances anyway. You're doing desert rats. So I want to yep. know, I want to know more about this race and kind of, um, you've had some really, again, talk about catharsis. I think you've had some cathartic moments in the race in previous years. Yes. Yeah. So this, this race desert rats is put on by a group, uh, out of Colorado called Gemini adventures. Uh, the race director Reed Delman and Kyla Clodell. Um, they, they've been putting this thing on. I think this is the 18th year, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but what it is, is a multi-day, a six-day stage race. It starts in Fruta, Colorado, yep. and it ends in, it ends in Moab, Utah. So Mo- Moab is pretty much like the home base. You know, we rent hotels there at the Gonzo yeah. Inn and all this stuff in Moab, and then they shuttle bus us. You know, that's where you want to leave all your stuff, right? They shuttle bus us to Fruta, yep. and then over the course of six days, we make our way back into Moab. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's... Um, it- my son and I camped in Moab on the way when we moved to Colorado. There's a place called uh, Moab Under the Stars, and it's their they're like pre-built tents. Um, and it's just, I mean, man, talk about. Like, I mean, I grew up in Phoenix, so like I'm very used to the desert and and that yeah. type of vibe. But man, it was a really magical place. Yeah, really magical. I've kind of, uh, I've just, you know, with a lot of things, I mean, obviously you can see on the Athlinks record, you know, Hershey and Marine Corps and the Mid-Maryland, I, I've run that every year. You know, this one, minus last year with COVID and everything, this will be my third third time running it. And for me and for the this persona or whatever you want to call it, uh, that, all, that all gets burned away really, really quickly. Yeah. And what I learned the very first year was you, you go in, you think this is like a, it's an ego thing. It's a macho thing. Like, you know, I'm going to get myself through this thing. You learn after day one or day two, like you're all in this, you're in the fight of a, of a lifetime. Right. Yeah. And it becomes very, it's, it's, it's so organic. It can't be, it can't be captured. It can't be sold or anything like this. Like folks just, you need to go and you need to experience this thing for yourself. But just this the tribe mentality and how everyone is there to just help each other out and get each other to the finish line. Yeah. You are you are there with these like perfect strangers. You guys are helping set up tents together and you're making food together. Mm. And it's like, you know, we as adults, as you get older, you kind of pigeonhole yourself where you don't you go you know, you don't get to go off to summer camp or anything right. like that. There's many parallels. But my buddies and I have drawn many parallels to like, you know, the the city slicker movies where yep. these these washed up middle-aged guys get together (laughs) and they're there with the, with the ice cream guys and then all these different person you would, you would never run into these people in real life. It's like, you just get thrown with this mishmash of people, executives and Hollywood guys and all this stuff. And it's the, the memories and the adventures that you have. It's very much one of those instances where the running's great and you'll get your, you'll get yourself through the running portion. It's just these, life things that you don't know until you go there to experience it wow so so let's talk about the race itself yeah Um, five days six days so it's it's six days altogether, but they give you wednesday you pretty much need a a freebie day after like three three consecutive days of running okay on the lightest day I want to say is like a 20, 22 mile run okay most you will ever do is thursday is the crusher if you if a runner can get themselves through the week and get themselves through Thursday, 
to the finish line of that okay. stage. Okay. I think I think Reed's uh, success rate is like a hundred percent. But wow. that that forty three miles over the LaSalle Mountains, that's soul crushing. Because I mean, yeah. yeah. And it's yeah. June in in between Fruta and Moab, so you're in you're in somewhat high desert, but still super. You know, that's not a that's not a hospitable place. No, super super hot days, and then for anyone who's racked out in the desert, it can get extremely chilly at night. But to yeah. go to have that extreme from you know. You're sleeping, you're waking up and there's like frost on the tent. Yeah. Like no lie, condensation, frost and everything. And then to be middle of the day and it be well over a hundred degrees, like that's, that's just a normal day at Deseret. Yeah. And what are you sleeping in? Are, so you mentioned building tents and things. Does, do all the race participants come together at the, at the finish line each day to sort of set up camp or is camp already set up for you? So that's where you're getting, you're getting a little bit of the hellish conditions, but you're also getting, uh, complimentary assess uh, necessities and stuff taken care of for you okay. what what you're getting with the race registration is the desert rats and the gemini adventure staff they're actually popping the tents they're setting up the tents for you okay and then they bring out this like gourmet chef from somewhere and you're eating you don't have to like prepare your own food or anything wow. for for dinner and breakfast but you know you're sitting out in a high desert eating like a fish taco with slaw and you're like this is this is unbelievable yeah. and they just keep welcoming you back. You know, a guy like me can go there and put away a lot of food. So. <laughs> well, especially when you're, when you're running for, for that many miles, especially. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So all of the, for your, for your listeners, pretty much Reed has devised a system to keep people honest, right? Like you, you, you follow the Barkley marathons and you know that, that, that lunatic Laz is putting these, placing these books and you have to tear a page out. Well, what keeps these runners honest running through the desert? We have a packing list. Of, of things that you may need. One of those U.S. Coast, Star, Coast Guard signaling mm -hmm. beacon lights, um, a, a knife, some like 550 cords, some salt tabs. There's this laundry list of maybe 15, 16 items. Any aid station that you come to, Reed or one of the people working the aid station will ask you for such item. Some people may say, I don't want to carry all this extra weight. That's bogus. I'm not carrying this. Well, if you get there and you don't have the salt tabs, you can add another hour to your running time. So you know, someone can say it doesn't mm. matter where I finish or whatever, like you could actually DQ yourself. I mean, if you ran through every aid station, got every single item wrong. Yeah. It doesn't matter how you run. You, you may in fact DQ yourself. Oh, no. So there's, that, that's where it adds another layer of, yeah. you know, honesty um, amongst the runners. So that's cool. Yeah, that's cool. So how much of this are you running on your own versus are you trying to team up with other people to carry yourselves through? What's yeah. the strategy here? That's another, that's another, uh, strategy or, or mentality that comes up. I mean, the thing, the thing that breaks itself apart from your neighborhood 5k or, or half marathon is there was one stretch of like Thursday where I, I did not see another runner for like six, maybe, maybe not that. No, I lied. There was an aid station in between, but you may be out in a certain neck of the woods for two, three hours and not see another human being. Wow. And, and some of these trails, they, they call this one portion, I'm, I'm, this is a spoiler alert, I'm sorry, but uh, they call it the Rose Garden. And uh, I, will, I will vouch there is fact, no, no roses in no roses. said Rose Garden. <laughs> <laughs> but you are just surrounded by these rock formations and you're in like a, a water way. And it, it's just, it, it's, you, you've been there. It's unex, unexplainable, but um, you do that makes partnering up with somebody or when you do run into somebody conversation, we're social mm -hmm. creatures. Yeah. And 
you guys are complete strangers, but just being out there and having no one to talk with, no one to converse with, you'll just start conversation about anything. Hey yeah. man, ni- nice hokas or whatever. Like you, sure. you just want to talk and you yeah. start, you start sharing stories. So, yeah. yeah. What must people think when you come running out of the middle of the desert looking exactly <laughs> like Randy Macho Man Savage? <laughs> that's right. Where, where did this guy fall from? <laughs> yeah. Wait, that's the thing that's great too when you're coming back into Moab is, and you've been out there as well, there's people in these like ATVs and there's people out riding mountain bikes and stuff yeah. like that. And it's, a, you, it's this re, and that's where this theme kind of gets repeated, but it's kind of like going to boot camp and being broken down and then being built back up into this United States Marine or going off to war and having to say goodbye to your family and give up these like creature comforts. You've spent an entire week just baking away. We all come back. We're all, we had all these crazy farmers hands and we look like even before COVID, we look like people from like Star Wars. We got face wraps on and these big hats yeah. to keep the sun away. And when you see people again and they they look at you and they yeah. don't know that you've just been out in a day, but you're like your your clothing is piecemeal together. For some reason you're wearing two different shoes and like <laughs> no, I'm joking. But like it's just this re-emergence into society again. And you come back with such an you know, there's this after race dinner and we might go off for some some post-race drinks or something but nothing tastes as sweet as that after you oh, yeah. you've held yourself from that for for an entire week so yeah i gotta think i mean you know whether it's military or this type of experience i th- I, I think how different the world could be if we all experienced that type of thing i just you know you you just gave me you just gave me chills because um a conversation that my buddies Chris and Paul actually had Paul Paul has said this from time to time is like he said this jovially but like when he became like the king of of whatever was left in the United States he would he would see that everyone went through some sort of crucible like this because yeah. it it just it cleans it cleans the the marker board right it wipes off all this other noise that is going on yeah. and you the the folks that i've met on this desert rats race all of their numbers are in my cell phone mm. you know with covid and everything like that we've had zoom calls and all this stuff you send each other christmas cards you you see you reach out to wish congratulations cuz their daughter graduated from high school or whatever it's just you to be i'm going to quote I guess Sandra Bullock maybe or, or Keanu Reeves from the movie Speed. Okay. <laughs> but they alluded that, you know, relationships that form under these intense circumstances. Yeah. I don't know. He was just trying to he was trying to go out on a date with Sandra Bullock, I think. But yeah. It, it it it's kind of hard for those relationships not to form because it's like when you're stripped of your friends and your family. I went into that thing hoping to lose myself, hoping to it metaphorically destroy myself, break myself down. This is something you don't even know if you can get yourself through. And yeah. then I come away from it with this family of friends yeah. that that's not what I was going there looking for, you know? So I really think it was this culmination of you have to put yourself out there to experience what is at your disposal or what is there for you. And yeah. it may come with a heartfelt card from somebody you don't even know saying, Hey, I'm here if you need me, or it may come in the middle of the Moab desert and you're completely out of water. And this person you just met three days ago is giving you a bottle out of their pack. You know, yeah. is, is there a, I, that's a beautiful thing. I mean, that's just a really beautiful thing to witness. Now, and again, you can't, you know, uh, like all, the last year and a half, everybody's just been bitching about the fact that we have no shared common experience and nobody can understand each other. And 
We all come yeah. from, you know, there's nothing that's going to change that we all come from different backgrounds. What can change is that shared experience. The, when, when we all go through the toughest things in our lives together, right? And that's, you know, things like 9-11 and, and that type of thing. It's, it's amazing to see how something like 9-11, and I think probably it was the externality of it, right? It happened from outside where it brought the country together, whereas COVID and everything else that has happened in the last year and a half seems to have torn us apart even more, right? So I, I, I agree with that. I think on the nuclear family side, and I know there's been, there's probably some families that have gone through exponential stress and pressure yeah. and all those things, but I've heard from many, many people within their own little family, their family's gotten stronger. 100%. Like me, me, with my, me with my kiddos, we played every board game in the closet. I've had to come, I've had to come up with ideas and things that I've never thought of because it's like, we're just here. There's no, yeah. we can't go to kid zone. We can't go to see a movie or something like that. Now, societally, communally, whatever it has definitely, and maybe we won't, maybe it'll take some time. They say that time is the healer of all whatever, but like maybe it'll take some time for us to really realize what it's done for us communally. I just think with, social media and zoom calls and whatever, we feel very removed from each other. Yeah. It's not what happened to the good old days where we could go to the place to go see a concert or we could hang out at a restaurant or a bar together like that. We're, we're still incredibly isolated. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. true. For sure. That is true. What, what do your kids think of all this? Like the, dad the running pinty. through the desert. <laughs> yeah. through. Yeah. For, but they're getting old enough now where, yeah. you know, they, I make all these movie references and music music references and stuff. There, there was a movie with Danny DeVito, I believe, called like Jack the Bear or something. Never heard of that one. So he's this zany guy. I think he works on like a TV show, okay. like kind of one of those random shows that comes on late at night or something. It might be like a horror show. Anyway, I digress. Um, but he's a single dad raising raising two young kids and or Jack the Bear. I, I don't know whatever it's called. Anyway, um. Any parent, whether being a widow or widower or a di divorcee or whatever, a single parent, I feel like obviously takes on roles that they might not normally take on. And the relationship that I have with my kiddos is, the, is the, probably one of the strongest bonds, one of the strongest relationships in my life. And they, they just know, they know what it does for me. And they, I'm still, I've, I've kind of kept some of the persona, some of the costumes and the pomp and the circumstance and the sequins. You know, they haven't, they haven't witnessed me <laughs> in that realm just yet, but they, they do know that, uh, daddy's, daddy's a better daddy when I've had my chance to run. So I don't know. Do you, do you like, do they, do they know the whole macho man? Uh, they, they pretty much, they, they're one and the same, like, not that they think that I'm macho man, Randy Savage, but they, if they see something that's like macho man related, they'll be like, that's dad. And I'm like, that's, that's not me. No, that's, <laughs> I guess I bring that on myself. But, yeah. yeah. The movie is called Jack the bear. I just looked it up. Jack the bear. Yeah. 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 No, any one of those, any one of those like coming of age, I, I've gone back and, you know, maybe movies from like our childhood, like yeah. stand by me or whatever, like these, I try to, maybe I, I poach teaching lessons or, or, or certain, you know, why, why do people associate with like Forrest Gump or right. something like with this guy just doing this? That's not real. That's not real life. Well, I mean, is it, could it be real life? Could you yeah. put yourself in a situation where you're, you know, playing ping pong for the United States? I, I don't know. Yeah. Give it a try. 
Yeah. It's funny because like, uh, you know, kind of going back to that shared experience, I grew up on Rocky movies and Top Gun and, you know, like all these super pro-American, like, and it wasn't even about pro-American, just pro-human. Like they were just feel good. The Everything from the music on down was just all about feeling great. What What happened to all those? I don't know. And you're you're absolutely right. It didn't necessarily have to be like a pro-American thing. It was just kind of like this like underdog or like yeah. even with a top gun, like there's this challenge that's set before them. And it's like, well, how are we but you know, riding a motorcycle through the desert and like eighties <laughs> yeah. rock bumping, like who's not it. gonna get pumped up by that? And it was freaking Kenny Loggins. Like it's not like <laughs> it was even anybody cool, but like you listen to those songs, you know. I mean, uh, my wife and I always laugh because it's like, man, how many like hit movie like he's the soundtrack to a bunch of those movies that just, man, they just make you feel amazing. And that's, I think I personally think 100% that is missing because whether again, it's, and I really frankly misspoke, it wasn't so much that they were pro American, although so many of them did have that. that it was, um, it was like an underlying theme, but I think yeah. it was, I don't, I don't think it was necessarily like propaganda or something, but like who, who is Rocky Balboa right. going to associate with, right? Like right. he's a, he's a boxer from South Philly. Yeah. Like, taking his licks through life and it's it's this underdog it's just too it took him four movies to get movie. to russia i mean come yeah, on you I know, mean, he had three yeah. other great movies before then <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah now there's you know and again kind of going back to that thing about running where it's it is that moment where you can hear the theme music in your head you can you know you're down that finish shoot and chase the person down and you know it's like that i don't know like running to me, and maybe it's just because it's my own perspective, but I, I always have those like 80s movies moments in, in races that I do, 100%. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And here the I've got all the Rocky soundtracks on my, on my phone. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Very nice. Always break out a, a, training, a training montage song, and you're, you're kicking it up to fifth gear. Oh, man. Yeah. That yeah. is awesome. Yep. So you got, what, a month? Less than a month? A month, yep. A month. How's yep. your training going? Um, for everyone listening, having weathered the last year, year and a half, uh, in some aspects, I think it's better than it was in previous years and other aspects. I'm like, I'm nowhere, I'm nowhere on point, but, um, just due to like work life schedules and arranging yeah. things with like virtual learning for the kids and stuff, I've had, I've had like a little bit more flexibility, mm -hmm. but my ability to go out for like the longer runs and things that I need, especially gearing up for this race, <clears> I think, <throat> I think I'm kind of a little lacking there, but I, who knows, maybe going in with fresh legs and, a. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Well, it's you know because like again we've talked about it. Like you're a muscular guy, and I think that there's there's um, there are a lot of really good ultra runners. I mean, you mentioned Katra Korbik. She's not a she's not a waif of a woman at all. Like mm -hmm. she's a strong, strong looking lady. Mm -hmm. um, how do you feel like that helps you? Is to have that muscular strength um, in in these long efforts like that. Like you're pushing I, I think, more, but you got a yeah. you got a great foundation for a frame, I guess. I think I I surprise a lot of people by my body frame and my stature, but I I'm also surprised by a by a ton of people. Like, um, you can never, especially in the world of ultra running, you can never ever ever judge a book by its cover because sure. road road runners or traditional style runners like that type of body doesn't doesn't normally translate too well to the world of ultra running because 
if you're running with, you know, I, I'm, I bump elbows, I'm friends with like the marathon junkie and like all these crazy road runners. And the Chuck, when, when you, yeah, Chuck, when, when you, when you're running with that 3% body fat and you can like, I could like slice cheese on his abs and stuff <laughs> like <laughs> that doesn't translate too well to ultra running because it's like when you, you kick into all, I, I'm not a dietitian, but you kick into all of those burning sugars, burning carbs, burning fats, like when you're running for hour upon hour upon hour where those yeah. guys kind of hit the wall and tank, that's kind of where a guy like me is just kind of hitting his second wind where I, I've surprised. I love that backyard style running. Uh, there's a race up in PA. There's a bunch of these races, these backyard ultras, but I, I love these ones that just go for a certain period of time, right? You've got 12 hours to just keep running. I, I love those races. Cause a guy like me or, yeah. or gals that are kind of a little bit bigger, like they, we, we succeed because we can just keep running and running and running, you know? Yeah. It's an interesting, it's an interesting phenomenon that I've seen. And, and I'm kind of in the middle there. I'm not a, I'm not a small guy, but I'm certainly not a big guy and have mm -hmm. been, I'm probably down 20 pounds of my peak in my twenties muscular wise. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I've, I've kind of been looking at that as like, man, maybe, I, I mean, at 49, it's tough to build a lot of muscle, but I've been really trying to hammer my legs recently to just try to get them as strong as possible versus I know a lot of people kind of go the opposite direction, but, um, yeah, strength. I don't know. I don't know what this is. I don't know. Like, cause I mean, like I, I've been devoting a lot of time to running per se, but I can, I cannot step foot in a gym for two, three months. Like it's, it's not that I'm waking yeah. up every morning, morning, cranking out 200 pushups or something. Like I, I don't, I don't know why, but yeah. I just, I just maintain, you know, people <laughs> curse me and are like, wait until your metabolism completely goes to crap and you're going to be you're going to be shit out of luck. But anyway, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, no, I, 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 I see where, again, you're, you're built differently from me, but I, I do have that. Like, I think a lot of it goes back to wrestling and football. It's like you built those deep muscle bellies when you were young. Mm -hmm. Now I can go into a gym and, and I, I rarely lose strength. Yeah. Um, I lose a little bit of size, but again, I was, you know, in my twenties, I was probably working out two hours a day and like, physically lifting for two hours now it's like all right i got i got 30 minutes let me go crank something out so you know it's yeah. it's different i think the i think a lot of that the metabolism is certainly that's a medical reality but at the same time i think there's ways to mitigate it and and my way is not by by only lifting for you know 15 to 30 minutes while i'm you know running on the treadmill for three hours yeah. <laughs> it's not yeah. the best not the best recipe <laughs> yeah we yep. do a little thing here, 10 question dash. You want to answer some questions and let's go for it. All right, cool. All right, let's get this, get this music. Going. I mean, is there, am I like being timed or something or? Yeah, you have to answer them as fast as possible. Oh, no, you're oh not boy. being timed at all. All, all right. right, let's get, oh. you'll, you'll hear that for good, good, good answers, bad answers. All right, here we go. Uh, what's your gear looking like? Who do you, you, what are your favorite brands shoe wise and everything else? People are probably going to be surprised by this answer, but I've recently, within the last year, switched over to like Nike Trail, the Nike Trail Twos. Yeah. yeah, they're really, really <clears throat> great kicks. I thought you were going to say Vans. That's no, Nike's. Yeah, that was my second one. Actually, yeah. <laughs> Nike's not that crazy. I, yeah. I, I'm a Tarek Tiger guy, and I, I bought them years ago by accident. Long story, and I've, I've just. It, 
they're the ones that fit me best and work best on my feet. I, I like Hoka's and, and I'm in a pair of Saucony's now, but trail yeah. trail and ultra runners are head over heels about Hoka's and ultra like ultras. Yeah. But I, I don't know what it, I, I think because I'm a bigger guy, I might have like higher arches. I, I need that. That's too much cushion for the push. And I need, I need a more agile shoe. That's so. interesting. Yeah. I, yep. I say, I say try everything and, and stick with what works for your body. Cause we're all, and different. you know what thing, shoe, shoe brands are going to change and the, the, Nike's gone through it. Uh, Asics has gone through it. Like yeah. they go through way, you kind of just have to find what works works best for you absolutely yeah, for sure okay we know your next run um that's the uh, desert rats uh so i'll jump to the next one what's your favorite sports book or movie or or whatever i'm gonna get dinged on this one but i, I rudy rudy's my favorite sports movie of all time I can't. I, I i've seen it <laughs> i've seen it i don't know 30 times i i get choked up every time my kids laugh at me so much because i i just do not cry but i can't watch like sports movies without, without, <laughs> without not crying. Little little bonus trivia at uh, my Marine Corps Marathon 2014 or 2015. I went to the runners brunch with Bart Yasso, and none other than Sean Astin was the celebrity runner nice. that year. And I thought my head like I met one of my all time favorite nice. heroes. So yeah, very good. Yeah, you, I got a picture to prove it too. That's awesome. Do you follow <laughs> MMA at all? I do. Yeah, yeah. So last uh, two weeks ago now, Rose Namajunas won the championship back, right? And mm -hmm. I got choked up because, here, I'll play this clip. I am the best. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, you know, Joe Rogan's like, you kept saying you're the best, you're the best. And then that yeah. was her response. I am the best. And I got yeah. all choked up. My daughter's looking at me like, God, you're an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> if you believe it, you can achieve it. Absolutely, man. Uh, okay, what's your favorite race you've ever done? Ah, uh, anybody who knows me is going to know what the answer is going to be, but it's a, it's the Marine Corps Marathon. Marine Corps, yeah, I figured yep. you'd say that. What's your bucket yep. list race? What's the one you haven't done yet? Uh, uh, I'm going to mispronounce it, but the the Desalb or the Desal, the one somewhere, or um, also the um, the marathon. I'm drawing a blank. Which one? Europe. That, that one. Europe. Africa. The one is it in South Africa? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, comrades. Comrades, yeah, yeah. comrades. Because yeah. the thing, the thing I've heard about that one is every year, and it, I mean, other races have kind of poached this, but the last finisher, they kind of close like the cattle gate, and the last runner in is like is like hoisted on shoulders, and the, everybody goes crazy. And meanwhile, the first guy's over at the over yeah. at the Gatorade, feeling sorry for himself. So. <laughs> That's a good one. Yeah, at Heronand, I think that might have been his favorite race, if I'm not mistaken. Um, okay, well, you got a home stretch song or band you listen to on your playlist, something that gets you across the finish line? You mentioned the Rocky themes earlier. Yeah, that's my that's my go-to. Um, in recent years, I got to hand it to the Foo Fighters, their yeah. song Run. Okay. I, I could listen to that like a hundred times over and over again. And also the Killers... They've got any any band that comes out with like a run in the title. Yeah. I mean, you're just asking for that to be like a running montage yeah. song. Yeah. Yep. 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 I hear you. What's uh, what's the most embarrassing song you got on that playlist? Oh man, I I've got two young kids, so I mean, this uh -oh. should be. You know, I've got pretty much every within the last ten years, like every Disney soundtrack, sure. uh, the Lego the Lego movies. Sure. Uh, now we're getting into like Chumba Wumba oh, and uh, right. like the yeah. Who let the dogs out and stuff? Sometimes you just have to throw that one on. And who let the dogs out? Answer. Nice. nice. Yes. Yeah. What's your uh, What's your biggest uh, like race fail? I've had more than I can count. Um, 
It was probably one of the years. You can go back through the records on Athlinks. Uh, it was it was most likely one of the years at Hershey. Okay. I went out at like six and a half, seven minute miles, and I crashed. I mean, I, again, I forget which year it is, but like my half time was like two hours and thirty minutes, which whatever. It's not. It's not horrible, but yeah. Well, it's not. It's not. It's certainly not close to what your your best time was there. I think somebody gave me like pre. Somebody gave me like a pre workout drink. <laughs> They, like the, you never want to take that's bad news. Like don't take No Explode and think you're gonna have a great 5K. Yeah. Hey, come on, guys, let's go, man. Who wants to go? Let's go, man. This stuff is really tasty. <laughs> I feel kind of invincible right now. Yeah, that didn't work out. Very nice. All right, cool. We'll give you one of those. Uh, living or dead? Who would you most like to share a long run with? Wow. I mean, I've already touched on it earlier in the podcast, but um, I've had the opportunity on multiple times to run with with Bart Yasso, the yeah. mayor of running. Yeah. And uh, anytime, whether personal or he has some sometimes these like group runs up in Allentown, you run up to the star and uh, any any run with that guy is just you, you come away from it feeling better than you did going into it. So I'd, I'd, I'd say Bart Yasso. Nice. Man. Yeah. yeah, it's funny. When I started Athlinks, I didn't come from running at all, but I knew the name Bart Yasso. And then I remember the first time at Running USA in La Jolla, he was at the bar and I was sitting like three feet from him and I turned around and, and it was like, and he's so, as you know, like super approachable, super nice guy, does not have any kind of ego around the fact that he's Bart Yasso, but... I was like for, I don't know, five minutes, I was like trying to get the nerve up to just go talk to him. And I did. And he's just like, hey, you know, what's like, what's happening? How you doing? Like zero ego yeah. whatsoever. No, he's, uh, I, again, I don't want to name drop too hard, but I, I ran into him a few times at the Marine Corps. And uh, like a week or two after after losing Jen, he was doing a, a run up in Allentown up to the star. And that was, uh, he, he wasn't doing it to for the name recognition or anything like that. He was just doing it for a guy who was kind of down on his luck, but mm. that that's a, that's a running moment. I'll probably, I, I will never forget. That's amazing. Cool. Yeah. Yep. All right, Phil, final question. Mm-hmm. What, what is the secret? <laughs> what is the secret? Wow. I could answer that many, many different yeah, ways. Yeah, I would just say, without getting too deep, we all come into this thing alone and we're all going to leave alone. And the people that you meet and the adventures that you have are way more important than how big your house is or what kind of car you drive. So opportunity is always out there. You just got to go out there and seize it. Boom. I love that. (laughs) I'm going to have a hard time pulling the clip. For this episode, you've given so many great quotable moments here, man. That's yep. that is awesome. That is super cool. Well, what else can you leave us with, Phil? You got uh, about a month before the 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 big race, which is uh, man. Yeah, I got to figure out if there's a way that I can get down there and at least at least one day watch you guys run. But uh, what else you got going on? What else you want to leave us with here? Well, just before I forget, and also just to kind of put the onus on you. Um, the race, we have like a race, pre-race meeting at the Gonzo Inn in downtown Moab okay. um, on Sunday. But we're hanging around Sunday. We ship off Monday morning, but we're in Moab like that time frame. And then also on the back end, we come back into town on Saturday. Okay. Um, but you, you could get up with the race director, uh, Reed Delman. Because I mean, I, I know certain parts of the trail, there's certain areas where people can come in with like mobile homes or other okay. people are attending and camping and stuff. But when you're actually out on the trail, 
you know, I'm not, uh, you're not going to like parachute in, in, in the Rose garden or something. Like, hey, Phil, I'm here. Woo. Um, anyway, yeah, you just gotta, you gotta make sure it's an area that you can easily cool. gain access to. All right. Um, but anyway, uh, to get back to your question, um, I'm sorry. What, what, what are you asking him? Just asking like what you got going on. Otherwise, anything you wanted to leave us with. You don't have to. You you spoke. No, I know. I know. I, I always have. I always have something. Um, <laughs> no, I don't. I don't know what any or all of this like accounts for. I don't know what. Like, I don't. A lot of times when somebody comes on a podcast or whatever, they're. I haven't written a book yet. Uh, I don't know what all of this is is going towards. I just know that any again, any one of the metals or you know my desert rats brick or whatever that's on my desk i know that when i look at those things it it fulfills me with you are capable you are worthy you know like david again david goggins goes into it going into the cookie jar and going in there and getting something and saying i i did this i physically mentally emotionally i got myself through this and if you put these things if you get yourself through these things, then when life, when, when we're all experiencing a year and a half, two year lockdown and people are losing their minds and people are buying up all, the, all this toilet paper and stuff, you can just say, you know what? Like, I'm going to go home. I'm going to reassess. And tomorrow I'll get to Target at six o'clock in the morning and I'm going to snatch up all the toilet paper. Yeah. No, um, you just, if you want to be anything in life, you obviously have to practice those things. And I would have never imagined in my mid to late thirties that I'd be uh, a widower. Right. And you can either choose. I don't know what it's like to go through AA or anything like that, but the first rule is, or the first step is you have to acknowledge that's what you are. And I, there's things that have happened in my life that I own 100%. I'm a father. I'm a Marine Corps veteran. Those are things I wanted to do with all of my intentions. Well, yeah. sometimes life is going to hand you crap that you don't want to do. But I've, I've noticed that in the midst of suffering with me going back to desert rats for yet a third time, it's in that moment where you want to give up and you think it's all worthless and whatever you, if you can push through that, you'll be surprised of like what the outcome is and what, what doors and opportunities that will open for you. So yeah, no, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, that is awesome for sure. Well, folks, that is the show. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, I am Troy Bousseau. Thanks again to Phil Pinty for joining us. We do a special post for each episode on Instagram. So look for the post for episode 42 with a picture of Phil, who you might uh, mistake for Macho Man Randy Savage. If you have comments or questions, shoot me a message at Troy Bousseau or shoot us an email to podcast at athlinks.com. Share it with friends far and wide. Give us a rating and a review if you dig it. And until next time, happy racing, everybody. Do you dig it? Oh, yeah!